So open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, our title this morning is It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, we're going to eschew playing an eclipse, and I'll try not to do my Jimmy Stewart voice. Um, You know, I don't know, but you know the movie. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. It's a classic, right? And it's a classic for a reason. And George Bailey has dreams of doing great things, yet gets stuck in the same little town, Bedford Falls. And at one point, he's just so discouraged and so distraught that he literally thinks of taking his own life. And an angel, Clarence, an angel second class without wings yet, comes to uh, try to earn his wings and try to show George Bailey what life would be like without him. And Bailey can't believe it at first, how the world has changed and everybody is different. But the point is that one person does make a difference. And so this idea of it's a wonderful life is almost a play on words with our question, who's your one? Because we're talking about who's the one person you've been praying for that you've been seeking to share the gospel with. But the point of today's sermon is that it's a wonderful life. You are the one that can make an eternal difference in their life by the fact that you have prayed for them, the fact that you do share the gospel with them, that you love them and that you care for them. Our October scripture memory verse of the month, and this is the last day of October, at least as a Sunday, reminds us of that, and that's Romans 1.16, and the purpose for which we are called. Let's say it together, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Romans 1.16, not ashamed of the gospel, that God has given us life through Jesus, most of us here in this place this morning, and therefore we should not be ashamed to share that with others. I'm going to ask you now, if you're able to, stand with me in the honor of reading God's word as we read our focal passage today, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. The next day, John was there with two of his disciples when he saw Jesus passing by. He said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus asked them following, uh, saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent the day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who was one of the two who heard what John had said and had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, We found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. Let's pray to our understanding. God, our Father, we open your word and we pray that you open our understanding. That as we see in the pages of scripture, we would see in the lives of our church member family and in our life. That transformation will take place as we introduce others to Jesus. God, we pray now that you'd speak to us by your Holy Spirit and that we would be obedient. We ask this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Well, thank you all. 
Your first point on your outline this morning is that Andrew was seeking truth. Andrew was seeking truth. That's the first point on your outline this morning. Notice what it says in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with his two disciples. The next day after what? Well, look back up in your Bible. Uh, Your Bible probably has the little headings inserted like mine to verse 29. The next day, uh, so then you look back up above that to verse 19. Then John's testimony and the guys coming against him. So one day after the other, John the Evangelist is telling the story of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, going back to verse 29, had said of Jesus, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then he says that he will baptize with the Holy Spirit in verse 33. And he says, I have seen and I testify that he is, that this is the Son of God in verse 34. So John, the forerunner to the Messiah, is saying of Jesus to his disciples, John's disciples, this is the Messiah and this is the guy I've been preparing you to follow. So, Andrew who is seeking truth by being a disciple of John the Baptist, had already started in that process of saying, hmm, Judaism as I know it may not be right. I believe there's a Messiah coming. John the Baptist, though he dresses in camel hair and eats locusts and honey, he preaches a message of power. He demonstrates the Holy Spirit. And he is telling us about the Messiah to come. And so Andrew has already followed John the Baptist. Now... What does it say? The next day, he was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist is pointing his disciples to Jesus. His disciples were already seeking truth. Your first question on your outline asks, who else do I know seeking truth? I use the word else there because I assume you're seeking truth, right? You're here. Now, some of you may be here because you're supposed to be here, because your parents brought you here. Some of you may be here because you don't know why. Well, God knows why you're here. But I assume most of us are here because we're seeking understanding of the truth that is in the Bible to apply it to our life that we might be transformed as well. And so that question I'm asking you is, who else do you know seeking truth beyond you? Who else? Well, how do you know they're interested? How do you know they're seeking truth? Well, some are going to be easy. They demonstrate their interest in truth or in organized religion or church. They seem naturally more interested in spiritual and eternal things, and that's an easy way to see. Uh, They've got questions about which religion or which denomination is right. And so they're in this uh, mindset of seeking truth. Others have more of a spiritual sensitivity. There's a humility. There's a brokenness about them that they can tell when others are hurting. And I tell you, that sensitivity, that discernment about them also can be used to communicate God's love by the Holy Spirit with them. There are others that may be willing to explore. That they're, you know, well, I don't know. I don't mind studying the Bible with you. Or sure, I'll have that conversation with you. That they didn't have that conversation with you, but you brought it to them to talk about the Bible, to talk about uh, God's will in your life, to share your testimony, and they receive that. And of course, there are some that are resistant. When you try to talk about God's Word, when you try to talk about your testimony, what God's done in your life, when you try to tell stories of anything you know that God has done in the world, they're resistant to that. And they may say and act like no, but your discernment tells you they really want to know more. They're just putting up a front. 
So your question is, who else do you know that you're seeking truth? Your second question on our outline this morning is, how can I assist them in finding Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit that dwells within you and within every other believer and that comes and then convicts and shines light into the life of everyone who's not yet a believer. The Holy Spirit does that. But how can you assist that person in finding Jesus? Well, you've got to be spiritually sensitive too. You don't want to be too pushy, but at the same point, you want to be bold. You've got to balance these things. Maybe you might ask for permission to share the gospel with them. Ask for permission to tell your story. Maybe you would speak kindly in a non-confrontational sort of way with a conditional statement like, I don't know about you, but my experience in life has been fill in the blank. And you tell about what you know from the Bible. You tell about what God has done in your life and the lives of somebody else you know. Maybe you kindly share scripture with them that you might not say, well, the Bible says and pump them on the head with it. But as you're speaking about a problem with their life or a question that they, you, they have, you share scripture that you've memorized. Maybe you don't have it memorized, but you know the gist of it and you share it with them. And they go, oh, wow, yeah. Where'd you hear that? Was that like a meme on Facebook? No, it's from the Bible. There's all sorts of ways to do that. But I think the number one thing we can do is pray for people. Pray for people. We can assist them in finding Jesus by praying for them regularly. We also have to look for the opportunities to speak to them regularly as well, to share a gospel witness, to challenge their thinking, to ask them questions. But it all comes through relationships, and that relationship is cemented by your relationship with God through the Holy Spirit in which you pray for that person. You know, the other thing I would do is pray with that person. There's been nothing more effective in my witness of, with folks that are lost when I say to them, I've been praying for you, and they'll go, oh, thanks, okay. I mean, you know, Christians get made fun of these days for thoughts and prayers. You know, you're saying thoughts and prayers for this, but you haven't done anything about it. And to a certain extent, maybe we should. But that's where I would say, in the case of somebody you're sharing your faith with, when they have an honest-to-goodness concern or something you can tell is burdening them, you say to them, can I pray with you about that right now? I've asked hundreds of people, can I pray for them? Not just church members, but people out in public, people I don't even know. And only twice have I had somebody say, no. Okay, I won't pray with you now, but I am going to pray for you because you can't keep me from praying for you. Matter of fact, I'm praying in my head right now because you just freaked me out. You don't want somebody to pray for you? But most people are like, yeah, sure. I've had people literally start to weep when I said, can I pray with you right now? And then it's a whole spiritual breakthrough because they realize something beyond them is within me. That's by the Holy Spirit, Christ in me, the hope of glory, glory in them that is praying for them. And that's the thing that changes everything. Not only when I say I will pray for you, but when I say, can I pray with you? And we pray right then. It opens up. A new way to communicate with them. Praying for people. And then you need to share with them answered prayers. What you've seen God done and you do in your life. And begin to tell those testimonies like they're natural and normal. Because they should be as believers in Jesus. And they will see your life has been changed. Let's move on to your next point on your outline. Your next point on your outline there. Number two is in verse 37 and 38. 
And that's that Andrew followed Jesus. Andrew was seeking the truth. That's why he was following John the Baptist as one of John the Baptist's disciples. But now John the Baptist says, here's the guy that's the Lamb of God. Here's the guy that's the Messiah. So you need to follow him. And look at what it says in verse 37 again. Then two of his disciples heard this saying, they followed Jesus. He followed Jesus. The question for you is, have I followed Jesus? Have you followed Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? Now, I know in this point, Andrew was following Jesus to learn more about him. Andrew had not yet, to our uh, knowledge, made a faith commitment to trust Jesus as his Savior and Lord. But I'm using it to illustrate the point for us. Have we gone from curiosity to saving faith? Have I trusted Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord? John 3.16 says that, if we believe in him, we'll be saved. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I want you to turn back with me to Romans chapter 10. You're in John chapter 1, so go to your right in your Bible all the way through Acts. And then you're going to get to Romans. In Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. One of my favorite passages of scripture because... It was when my pastor preached on this passage of Scripture when I was 17 years old that I trusted Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. I knew all the right things to say. I'd been in church since I was a kid, and everybody thought I was saved, and I may have thought I was saved as well, but every week I held on to the back of that pew with white knuckles at invitation time because I knew I wasn't saved, and I knew if I would die, I'd go to hell. In the heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I said, I can do that. I can confess that. I believe that. Look, it goes on to explain, verse 10. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, made right with God, and it is with your mouth you confess and are saved. So that Sunday morning, I walked down the aisle and I took my pastor's hand at the invitation time. I said, Brother Bill, i got to get saved. Thankfully, he didn't go, what? He said, tell me why you need to get saved. I said, Brother Bill, I've been the biggest poser and hypocrite all these years, acting like I was a believer, but I know I'm not. I know I don't have the Holy Spirit within me. I'm not saved. He said, Let's pray right now. And standing in front of my church at the age of 17, I prayed with my pastor to trust Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and Lord. Now, I don't know where it happened for you and how it happened for you, but I imagine you're like me and you can still remember that. Or maybe you haven't yet. Maybe you haven't yet followed Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. You know, you can do that today. Luke 15, 7 says that, I tell you, in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons that do not repent. Think about it. Heaven, when we worship, we're lifting our praises to God and the songs we sang were amazing. And being here with you all gathered and all your voices was totally awesome this morning. But heaven would get more excited if one person would say, yes, I trust Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord today, than all 200 of us singing. Now, that doesn't mean we should stop singing. It means that we should keep praying that anybody who comes to this place who is not yet a believer in Jesus will clearly hear that message and understand enough to say, I need to trust Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord. Friends, I know the weather is going to be bad today, but the last few years we have had 600 people on our parking lot. 600 people. Most of them have no relationship with church, probably no personal relationship with Jesus. How many are we going to have today? I don't know. 200, 300, 400 since it's going to be cold and windy. But people will be here. 
And even by dressing up and having a trunk and handing out candy, you can share the love of Jesus. This year, I'm not hosting a trunk. Why? Because I want to be able to go around and have conversations with people and share God's love with them. And so I'm going to ask you to pray that somebody here tonight would trust Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord right here tonight before they even leave. And that if they fill out a card and say, hey, yeah, and we get a chance to call them, that they'll let us come to their house and share the gospel with them and invite them to follow Jesus. Let's move on in your outline. Your next point, your question there is how closely do I walk with Jesus daily? Because friends, it may be that you have already followed Jesus as your Savior, but you're not walking with Him daily and you're not walking with Him closely and you need to take a change. Andrew was seeking truth about Jesus Andrew was already in a relationship with John the Baptist that was pointing him to the Messiah. And then when John the Baptist said, this is the Messiah, he made the jump to Jesus. What about you? What are you going to do differently to walk more closely with Jesus following the example of Andrew? Let's move on to your third major point, your outline, is that Andrew spent time with Jesus. That's verse 39. Verse 39, back in John 1, Andrew spent time with Jesus. Notice what it says there. Jesus said, Come, he replied, and you will see. So he went with him, and he was staying with him, and he spent time with him. It was about the 10th hour, 4 p.m. So we don't know what time he started, but he spent, hypothetically, the day with him is what this is uh, illustrating, that Andrew spent a day with Jesus, we assume, in conversation. It doesn't say they were doing anything else. So Andrew, who knows about the Messiah, is now testing to see if Jesus is the Messiah. Which asks the question for us, when have I spent time with Jesus? Whether you're already a Christian, a Christ follower or not, have you spent time with him? Or if you're somebody who's not yet a believer in Jesus, have you spent enough time with him that you might make a decision on your own? Not believe what I say, not believe what somebody else says, but believe what the Bible says, that you're reading the Bible every day, that you're praying every day, and that you're honest to God about, God, I'm not yet sure that Jesus is the Savior, and I'm not yet sure that I'm a sinner, or whatever your question or concern is, but you take it to Jesus every day, and you spend time with Him, and you allow Him to teach you. Which leads to the next question, of course. How can I spend more time with Jesus? Now, some of you might naturally be going, um, uh, Pastor, Jesus lived like 2,000 years ago and he's dead? Well, not really. Every other person that's ever lived, we die and we're in the grave, right? We know that there is an eternity, but at this point, not yet resurrected, but Jesus was resurrected and Jesus is alive, and though he is not in the flesh for you to spend time with, through the Bible, God's Word, through your prayers, through listening to other believers, through even Christian songs, you can spend time with Jesus. You study his word, you think about it devotionally, you meditate on it, you memorize it, you pray, talking with him, and it includes listening with him. You spend time with Jesus. Now, some of us, of course, then say, I've got no time. I don't have time to spend with Jesus. Sure you do. You have all the time in the world to do all the things you want to do. Truth? 
You've got time for TV. You've got time for social media. You've got time for hobbies. Most Americans work less and have more free time than in any generation in history in most any other nation in history right now. Yeah, I know some of us are working two or three jobs and some of us have lots of home and family responsibilities and may not have as much time as the next person, but most of us have time if we want it. We still have to find time for the stuff that matters. I spent the summer of 1989 in Alaska. It was my first pastor job. So yeah, I've been a pastor for 30 years now, okay? Um, Because do the math, all right? And um, I knew that the weight limit on suitcases back then was 70 pounds, And I knew my suitcase, because I had books and all sorts of other stuff, was going to be a lot. It was one of those humongous suitcases, you know, you could fit a small child or a contortionist in. And so I had my suitcase at 68 pounds. How do I know? Because I stood on the scale by myself, then I stood on the scale with the suitcase and did the math, right, at home uh, where I was staying. So we get to the airport, I roll in my suitcase, you know, it was the kind that had the cord on it, not the kind with the, you know, old-timey kind that falls over. I lifted it up on the deal, very proud that I knew it was 68 pounds. The agent says to me, "Um, that suitcase is too heavy. I'm like, but the weight limit's 70 pounds. She says, well, the weight limit's really more like 50 pounds. I was like, why don't you say this? She says, well, here's a box. You can put some in. We won't charge you extra for it. So here I am in the airport opening my 68-pound gigantic suitcase, taking out things, going, what does 18 pounds look like? I mean, How much stuff am I going to have to unload to be able to make space? Not to mention I had it packed all perfectly so, you know, I could take it home like that and I wouldn't have to wash it again uh, or anything like that. Uh, And so it was in there just all nice and then it was going to get all messed up. I was terribly embarrassed and I almost missed my flight because I kept going back and she was like, nope, few more pounds. Nope, few more pounds. Nope, few more pounds. I was trying to make space, right? Some of you feel like that in your life. You're like, Pastor Aaron, I've got so much stuff in my life. It's like, you know, 68 pounds. And how am I going to take out 18 pounds to get down to 50? I don't know how you're going to. But I trust that if you think about it, if you pray about it, God will give you the ability to find time to spend with Jesus. If you make it a priority, if you set your heart, your mind, your purpose on it, If you think forward about how you can do that, bring some more balance to your life. But mostly consider your eternity and the eternity of others you know. I think you can find time to spend with Jesus. Let's move on to your next point in your outline. Your next point in your outline is that Andrew invited Simon to consider Jesus. This is where we're bringing it home in our who's your one idea, right? Andrew himself had decided that Jesus is the Messiah. We know that by what Andrew says here in just a moment. But look at verse 40. Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, the one who had heard. And he said, verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother. So the first thing after he was convinced. So somewhere in that evening, after four in the evening, when it tells us there in the last few verses that Andrew had spent time with Jesus till four in the evening. So right after that, he went looking for his brother And he had to tell him, I mean, you know how it is. Something good happens to you now. You don't have to wait to see them. You can text them, hey, you won't believe what happened, selfie. You know, I mean, you're excited to tell people what has gone on in your life and invite others to celebrate it through social media or whatever other manner. I love it. Look at what it says there. He says in the end of verse 41, we have found the Messiah. That is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. 
Andrew had spent time with Jesus. Andrew's mind, his heart had changed. And Andrew knew that Jesus was the Savior. And the first thing Andrew wanted to do after he was convinced was bring his brother whom he loved to Jesus. Don't you just love it? Your question there asks, who will I invite to consider Jesus? Maybe you've already done it. Maybe not yet. Maybe you're like, oh, this who's your one thing kind of freaks me out. I kind of have an idea of who I should pray for, but I don't know how I'm going to talk to them. I'm asking you right now, who are you going to invite to consider Jesus? Let's read the Bible together. Let me tell you what he's done in my life. You're not going to walk him up to Jesus just like Andrew did. But yeah, you're going to ask him to consider Jesus. You prayed for him. You're in conversation with him. You're praying with them. You're praying as well. You're sharing the Bible with them day after day, week after week, no stopping. You're inviting someone to consider Jesus. Your next question, how can I invite others to consider Jesus? I mean, this is a bit of the same question again, right? But not just one person, but what about other people? You've been praying for, sharing the gospel with your one this month, but who else in your life do you need to invite to consider Jesus? What would you say? How would you do that? More importantly, when are you going to do that without delay? Maybe my favorite part of this scripture is what happens next. My favorite part is the transformation that Jesus sees in Simon to become Peter. But remember, that transformation of Simon to Peter wouldn't have happened without Andrew bringing Simon to Jesus. It's a wonderful life. And that you as the one can be the one to lead to the transformation of your friend's life forever. Your fifth point on your outline is that Andrew heard who Simon would become. Look at what Jesus says. The middle of verse 42. Jesus looked at him. That's Simon. And he said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. In Aramaic, it's Cephas. And Peter in Greek, in English, it means rock. You are Simon, but you will be Peter. You are a fisherman that's uneducated and impulsive, but you will be Peter who walks with me and is transformed and becomes powerful And confronts the very Sanhedrin that puts me to death. And preaches and thousands of people in one day trust me as their savior. You will be the rock, the very foundation of the church. Your question there asks, who have I been? No matter how old you are. You have a past. You might be five years old, you got a little bit of a past. You might be 80 something years old, you got a whole lot more of a past. But all of us have things in our past that we prefer others didn't know. All of us have things in our past that we're ashamed of or we wish we could have changed. All of us have been sinful, all of us have been guilty. Some of us are ashamed 
Some of us have been addicted, used, abused. All sorts of things. Some of them that may not even be your fault or responsibility in your past. Who you've been. But the next question. Who does Jesus see me becoming? Not who do I see myself becoming? Not who does my coach see me becoming? Not who does a self-help guru see me becoming? Who does Jesus, God in flesh, creator, redeemer, sustainer, who does he see me becoming? I am loved. I am forgiven. I am adopted. I am redeemed. I am set free. Can I get an amen? And I am changed. You are. You will be. Fill in the blank for yourself. What are you right now based on your past? And even as you sit here today feeling the weight of sin and shame and guilt on you with everything that you have ever done. But what can you be? Because Jesus will set you free and change your life forever. If you'll only surrender and let him. If you will only follow him. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3 with me. You probably know where I'm going because I like this one, right? We want to start with a prayer in verse 14, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. If you haven't turned there, please do. If you've got an electronic copy of the Bible, find it, right? Ephesians 3, 14. You need to highlight this one. There's things about this you need to hide in your heart because God can use His Word to change you. And these words are powerful to remind us of his love for us. It's a prayer that Paul is offering for the church at Ephesus, but it's a prayer that applies to us today. What does he say? For this reason, I kneel before the Father. This is Ephesians 3.15 now. From whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, God's glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. So through his spirit in your inner being, How many of you need a little power in your spirit, in your inner being? Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Jesus doesn't get there in any other way but your faith in him. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. In other words, you can't get around God's love. It is bigger than anything you can imagine the way that he loves you. We sang that song earlier. Oh, how he loves. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God, not your fullness, but God's fullness. And then the doxology. Verse 20 and 21. Don't miss this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. God who can do more than you can ask or imagine. 
How big's your imagination? How much can you ask for? Jesus can do more than that. God loves you more than that. And He can and will change you if you will only come to Him in faith. And those of us that know Him, He can and will change the lost people in our life if we will only pray for them, share the gospel with them, and introduce them to Him that they too might have faith. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're so moved by this scripture and the example of Peter. The example of Andrew who introduced his brother Peter to you. And it's our prayer that there would be lives changed right now. That those who have not trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord would come down front here and pray with Pastor David or Ryan or Deacon. And that their life would be changed from this moment forward. And those of us who are believers in Jesus that maybe have been holding back and know we should be not only praying for, but praying with and speaking a gospel witness to our lost friends, family members, and co-workers, we would do that now because we long to see people saved. It is a wonderful life when you share Jesus. So God, our Father, we ask now that you would do these things in the name of Jesus, that we might give you glory. And all God's people said, Amen.